Hey friends, it's Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number 27, Nikki O'Neill. Nikki is an accomplished guitarist, songwriter, and journalist based out of Chicago. We'll talk about how she's taken her love of Americana, folk, gospel, blues, and blended it into her own style and fit it to her songwriting. Nikki has interviewed some fantastic players too for Guitar Player Magazine, so we'll delve into that and more in this episode, so let's jump in. Episode number 27, Nikki O'Neill. I am super pumped because your story is very unique and I feel like you know, I'd, I'd love to delve into you know, what you're doing now, but I'd also like to go to the starting point for you. Like when was your first introduction to guitar and the, the concept of songwriting? Yeah, th those are always dangerous questions. Like the, who are you? Who is Nikki O'Neill? <laughs> because I grew, I grew up in different countries. I was born in Los Angeles, but um, when I was seven, my mom married a Swede. And so I grew up in Sweden and I lived there. And to make things more complicated, my mother and grandmother are Polish. So we kind of lived in this like multicultural household. But the beautiful thing that came out of that was that there was you know, nobody was a musician, but they loved music. They loved playing the radio, uh, playing records. And so I got to hear all kinds of stuff from like Al Green and Santana, who became hugely influential for me. And Dinah Washington, also influential singer. But then there's also Chopin and... Um, and then there was music in Sweden that was popular at the time that I was hearing in school. So there was just so much stuff that was coming at me. And uh, I was always drawn to making up songs ever since I was a kid. So, yeah, I guess that, that definitely came before guitar. Uh, but now to, to get to guitar. So I really wanted to be a drummer at first. And my mom said, no way. It's too expensive. <laughs> too loud. I would be hitting on the washing machines. You know, it was like, you know, we're anything i heard i heard a beat you know the coffee maker or whatever i i heard grooves in, in that but yeah she said no drums so i said okay then i'll do guitar and uh in sweden it's um i don't know if it's still like that now but they used to have subsidized music education mm -hmm. meaning that it, it would almost cost nothing to take instrument lessons and so a lot of people have done it and They've explained some, sometimes, you know, when they try to explain, oh, the Swedish pop sensation and what is it in the air and in the soil that makes all these like writers like Max Martin and, and people like that come up and um, or, or metal bands or whatever. There's a lot of music has come out of Sweden. And uh, one of the common answers is that, yeah, there's like free music education. That's amazing. Um, that feels like that facilitates so many people that are, I want to yeah. do music because I feel, you know, growing up myself, I went to Catholic school. There was, n there was like nothing. <laughs> and it, it's just like, and it, and yeah, so there's a whole lot within Catholic school, but there was nothing. And it was more or less, if you want to do this, there's sports. And if you don't want to do sports, you're just like, well, you're out of luck. And yeah. you kind of have to discover that on your own. But to, that's interesting that culturally that they're a lot more receptive and a lot more funding, that this is fundamentally important. 
Yeah. And I mean, granted, there's always a tug of like political interests where one side will say, ah, arts education is not important. We need to save money, cut the arts, cut music. Unfortunately, there's that thing going on there as well. But I guess there's still a lot of a common appreciation for the arts, um, regardless of what social class you're in. So that's a great thing. And so I started taking guitar lessons and it was acoustic guitar and she was like a classical guitar teacher. And I had grown up with my mom's Santana records, but had always been like you know, drumming <laughs> to them. And then I realized, well, he's, he's a pretty good guitar player. <laughs> so I got myself a nylon string guitar. You know, I started pretty late. It was like just before I turned 16. I got this nylon string guitar and then I would go to my guitar lessons and do whatever she asked me to do. And then when I came home, put on the headphones and just try to figure out all the Santana stuff, which is kind of funny because you're sitting with a nylon string, no amplification, <laughs> nothing. And it's like, how does he make the notes sound so long? So I didn't know what sustain was and that back in that day, you turned the amp up insanely loud to get that kind of sustain, but it didn't stop me from trying and figuring stuff out. And so he was, he was a huge influence and uh, I was uh, super excited. I got to interview him for the guitar player in the January issue. Oh, that's awesome. So that was that was a really cool thing. And I feel like and maybe I, I could be wrong, but I feel like especially in that age, because that was kind of when I also was like, OK, this is it. Guitar. I'm going to go for it. It was like, I think, 16, 17, where it was like I was fully just into it. And it was the same thing. I'd come back home and figure out songs. It's something about like a you don't think about, oh, I can't do this. You just kind of go like, I have to figure this out. You just even if that means this one section of the song is going to take hours. I don't give a fuck. I'm fine with it. It's just like, let's do this. Let's, I'm, I'm going to do it. I wish that I had that kind of determination that I had then. Now it's kind of like you, you have too much information, you know, like you look at a piece of music and it's like, oh, that's really cool. I know, you know, it really evolved me as a player, but I know it's going to, that's going to take a really long time technically and yada, yada, yada. And uh, yeah, I, I wish I had that, you know, you could just sit and like all day long and my mom would knock on the door. It's breakfast, ignored. <laughs> <laughs> it's lunch, <laughs> it's dinner, come on. And I was just so into it. And I think that's interesting that you said, I have too much information because it's, you know, sometimes when you're advising someone that's starting out, you're forgetting all the things sometimes in the starting point because you know when you're too far down the road you're on step 40 and they're on step two you're like oh this is a lot meanwhile it's like no remember when you were on step two you didn't care about step 40 you were like okay i'm just gonna do this and you hunker down and however long it takes you don't care if it's a year two years you're like i'm gonna do this I always feel a huge responsibility when I give advice uh, to somebody who's like 15 or 16 or, or anybody, but that, that young age, especially because if you, I mean, you can say, yeah, it takes a lot of work to become a musician and to make a living off of it. It's a ton of work and it's often a lot of sacrifices, but if you give them too much information, then it's just going to discourage them. And, so um yeah it's a fine balance that is a fine balance then 
I guess the, the question I would have taken that, what kept you going in that entire journey? So like going from 16, figuring out songs to eventually writing songs and kind of going on that journey, what has been the constant thing that just like keeps you going on that path? Yeah. It's, you, you know, that's, that's a really good question because I, uh, faced a lot of resistance and didn't have a lot of mentors. So after my initial like guitar teacher, there was a high school program that had uh, a big concentration of music. It was kind of like, well, I'm not going to say like quite like Berkeley or Musicians Institute, but a little bit like that. I mean, it was like 17 hours of music on the schedule and you had a primary instrument, a second instrument, ensembles, music theory, ear training, choir, music history, and a bunch of other electives. And so I wanted to audition for it, and I did. But, you know, I didn't come from a background with musicians. We were just, we were music lovers. <laughs> but the people in my class, a lot of them had played and been in like musical training since they were six or seven. And uh, their parents were professional musicians. And many were part of like the cultural elite and the entertainment business in Sweden. So I came in and I was kind of like a rock fan. And there was a lot of like kind of snobbery about rock is like, it's, it's inferior here. We do jazz, it's fusion. <laughs> Everybody was into Larry Carlton and the Yellow Jackets and you know, Chick Corea and like the more complex, the, the better. And the teachers kind of fostered that vibe also. So that um, really kind of challenged my self-esteem. And uh, my mom wasn't like super encouraging either. So what kept me going? I, I guess all I could say was like a love for music. It's it just, it, I, it, um, it's just part, yeah, it's kind of like sometimes part of your identity where you just can't rip it apart because you're like, no, this is the thing that I do. Even when you're met with opposition or someone being like, that's not it. It's like, but what if it is it? Like, what if this is the thing that I'm supposed to do? There was such a focus on improvisation and jazz improvisation. And to me, I hadn't played for a very long time. So just like the thought of like, improvising blowing over jazz changes bebop harmony it was so over my head but what i did take away from it was i absolutely loved the chords so even if i knew i wasn't being a jazz musician wasn't in the cards but i really loved the harmony and whenever i did like get a tune like you know teacher would say here's scrapple from the apple charlie parker I fell in love with the part of the song that's called the head, you know, the, like the main theme and just like learned over time that composition was what I was really excited about. And, you know, it took several years to connect the dots and understand that, okay, well, I made up songs as a kid and composition is what I'm interested in. Um, you know, when, whenever they would teach like something like modes, modal, modal scales, um, for those who don't know, it's, I don't know, it's, a, it's an essential part of like jazz music and, and things like that. And uh, when they were talking about improvising, then it was complicated for me. I, I couldn't get it. I, you know, didn't have the chops, didn't have the vocabulary to like just burn a, through a bunch of notes. But when you talked about composing with the modes, 
that got me super excited. So I think, yeah, what made me like survive and um, yeah, not get my love for music stomped on and yeah. getting like, you know, just giving up from discouragement was just like just too strong of a love for music. And yeah. And, it, and that's cool when they, you know, taking something at modes that's like, okay, yeah. But then if you take something and then apply it to something practical, like, okay, here's, here's like composition. Okay, now you've got me. It's just like, that's speaking to the part that I really want to do. Like, you know, for me, if somebody was like, how do you feel about improvisation? I'm like, it's okay. It's like, you know, I'm not going to spend hours. But if somebody was like, hey, you know, I love building songs and doing production and delving into that whole world because it's this this world of creation that you're doing which is a form of you know kind of like freestyle composition and freestyle kind of like you know if you were to solo i'm committing a solo idea to to track i'm saying this is what it is yeah no absolutely i mean i've always i i was more drawn to composing and arranging arranging which i think is like it's amazing how little people talk about it and how essential it is. Um, I, I think it's only in recent years that you have arranging classes at places like Berkeley, but there's barely any books on the subject. And those that are, they're often leaning towards film music or jazz or where you have a bigger, you know, mm -hmm. larger instrumentation. But it'd be great if there was that kind of information for rock and pop and yeah, urban music. Would you say like your arrangement skills came through just the application of it and with each one you just started to understand what your process is? I think I learned how important arranging was when I came to the States. And I, I moved from New York City to LA and the first thing I did when I came to LA was I took some classes at, U, at UCLA, the, the like extension division, the evening classes. And uh, there was like, yeah, one about music production. And they invited different people to the studio. And uh, one of them was a guy named Dapo Torimiro. And he, back then, he had been a music director for Stevie Wonder and Lauren Hill. And nowadays, I mean, he works with everybody. He's like this multi-instrumentalist and songwriter and like every star you can think of, he's like worked with them. And I approached him. I, I, you know, asked him if he could help me produce a couple of songs that I did. And so I, you know, sent some sketches and the way it worked then, I mean, I wouldn't wor work this way now, but yeah, what happened was he took it, he's a multi-instrumentalist, he would like lay down a drum track and then keyboards who's, and bass and all that, so he could play all that. And then it came back to me and I was shocked. I was like, wow, that's what happened to my song. And I knew that arranging was important, but that was, I really understood <laughs> like how you could kill a good song or yeah, I mean, essentially a good song needs to be there, I think. You can't like polish something that's like crappy writing. I, I've seen, you know, people sometimes they'll spend lots of money and they'll hire somebody in Nashville who will arrange their songs for them. And, and you know, they, they've got the session musicians and backup singers and all that. But yeah, you can hear the song itself is like not really there. <laughs> The, the the chord progressions or the direction, the melody isn't that strong, the lyrics are, yeah. So you can hear it's an inexperienced person. And 
Sure. With me, I mean, I was kind of inexperienced too when I worked with Dapo, but but it was still a good thing. And, you know, even if it costs good amount of money and, but it led me to working with better musicians because they were drawn to the songs. And then I just kind of got better and better at what I did and more articulate about what I wanted and worked on my singing and all that. So, and then, and, and again, you attract better musicians and collaborators. It's it's like your song portfolio almost, and you're kind of showing it off of just like, and you and I agree with you. I think you know at the heart of a, a great production needs to be a good song. Like, can you pick up your guitar or whatever instrument you wrote on? Can you play me what it is at the heart of it? It should still stand up. It's like it yeah. should still be good. I'm I'm a little old school, so I think that you should be able to play a song with you know just a guitar or piano. Even though I get like a lot of like music today is based on like incredible production. Yeah. And it's a combination of all the parts. But I remember there was early when I was in a band and there was an engineer that was working and tracking with us and he was going on about bands, you know, what you're talking about. And he leaned back and in the casual voice, he was like, brother you can't polish a turd and then he just turned his chair back around and i was like that always kind of stuck with me and i was like he's he's right like at the heart of it that's why some people write a lot of songs because sometimes the songs that you write are just songs and then you write something that has like oh this is really good yeah and you don't know when that's going to happen and you just have to keep on writing and because it's important to and, and now i'm giving advice to myself uh because I'm, I'm taking a little <laughs> break from writing but it's good to write very regularly, even if you're just writing letters or something, because it's like keeping that flow. If if I take a break for a month or two months, um, like for instance, I, you just released an album and was in the heavier part of the promotion cycle of it. So then I didn't really feel like I was in the mind space of writing because I also, I don't want the songs to sound like leftovers from the previous album, but it is a little scary. I, I, I know if you, stay away from it, then it takes a while before the idea flow like comes back. And it's, it's kind of like, I was liking it to, you turn on a tap and it's like brown crappy water that comes out <laughs> maybe for a week or two. And you you just have to like sit through it and know, okay, this has happened before. Yeah. When, when it's the first time you're terrified, oh my God, I only had one song in me. <laughs> But you just have to just go through that phase and be yeah. willing to bunch of shit. And uh, yeah. <laughs> is there anything that you've realized now after doing songwriting that there are certain things that can trigger more creativity or like kind of that space that you want to be in, whether it be like where you write, how you write? Um, I'm noticing in the background. Is that a Butch Walker poster? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, I, I was. <laughs> Cause I was like, I was like, wait a minute. She has a Butch Walker poster in the background. Yeah, no, we're, we're yeah, I, I love Butch Walker. I could listen to him talk about songwriting constantly and just yeah. like production. I'm like, he is like, I think he said like, you know, I just want to be the jeans and t-shirt of rock and roll. He was like, cause that'll <laughs> never not be cool. And I'm like, shit, he's so cool. And I just want to, I was just like, oh, I'd love to be Butch Walker. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I love when he said, uh, you, there's, there's a difference between writing a hit song and writing a great song. They're not always the same thing. And I don't have any experience in writing big hits, so I, I, I can't say, but I'll, I'm sure he knows what he's talking about, so I'll take it for, for the truth, but he's an amazing performer. Uh, but to get back a more creative mindset, yeah, I think it's, well, you know, there's like this book, The Artist's Way. The, oh, like, shit. Yeah. Julian Cameron. Yeah. Oh. And uh, I found myself picking that book up again. I, I got it long ago, 2002 or something. And I mean, the pages are falling out. It's like, I mean, that thing has been used. And then for a lot, good while, I didn't feel I need it. Yeah. Now I, um, you know, just having released that album, the promotion, and then we moved from LA to Chicago. So there's like, I don't have my band anymore besides my husband, who's the drummer, but it's like a completely blank slate and which is exciting and can also be kind of daunting. Yeah. So I felt like maybe it's a good time to pick up <laughs> that artist <laughs> and dust it off, you know, blow the dust off the pages. And, uh, I mean, she she talks about the importance of trying to live a colorful and creative life and you do things like do exciting stuff or, you know, whether it's uh, uh, try a new hobby, try a new skill or go and take a walk, walk into a store that's exciting. Or have you ever like dreamt of having a life that's different than your own? What kind of life is that? It, it maybe sounds a little corny, but. But I, it's very I, effective because the artist states and the morning pages, it unlocks yeah. a lot of things in your head that, you, you know, especially when you feel stale or you feel a little dormant, it just kind of, it's what you need to kickstart it. And you wonder, yeah. where is this? And it's like, oh, wait a minute, that has been in my head. I just needed to unlock it. I needed like a kind of a little just swift kick in the creative butt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I find living a more colorful and creative life because maybe you're kind of inhibiting yourself in, in some areas. For instance, I, you know, I, I just started like on the second week, I think it's like a 12 week thing. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, there, there's some things like, Oh, what were some people that you admire or, you know, kind of delve into their worlds. And there's like this funk artist, uh, his name is Betty Davis. So I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was, uh, in the seventies, she released three classic funk albums and uh, she was married to Miles Davis for a while and she got him hip to Jimi Hendrix and Sly Stone. So he reinvented himself and he released Bitches Brew and stuff like that. So, and she was just kind of looks like a female Jimi Hendrix where it's like the yeah. art is oozing out everywhere, the clothes and everything. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. That That's inspiring. I need to, I mean, I can't, I can't sing like that. There's no way. And it's not the kind of music I want to do, but just like, yeah, you can be that creative the way she dresses. And I mean, I wouldn't wear it like the hot pants and like silver platform boots, like the really outrageous stuff, but, but it was just like, yeah, there's, there's more that you can do. It's often we, we kind of get into our like, gray everyday lives even though we might work with music it is we can fall into those ruts those kind of those moments where we feel like we plateau where we've just reached we've just done it and becomes almost second nature and then it becomes habit and when habit forms sometimes it can become a little stale yeah. and then we wonder is like 
have I said everything that I need to say? Is this how I just write songs now all the time? But it's like, no, it's not how it has to be. You can still do it this way. You can kind of turn it upside down. And it's just like finding a new way to look at it. And you realize you can paint with the, the colors that you have and you can do it a little bit differently, which is awesome to just like to realize that there's no dry point. Yeah. It's like, there's never a point where you're going to be like, you run out. It's how much you're surrounding yourself with or what you're consuming. And if you kind of change that, that can, I don't know, yeah. just kind of reignite. Cause I, what you're describing, I think everybody feels that. And it's refreshing when people hear other people talk about that. Cause they wonder, is that just me? Or maybe they're meant to do it and I'm just not. And this is like, I've said everything. Yeah, no, I, I remember I just wrote like a little Facebook post and, and said that I like picked up that book again. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe the, the people who are like musicians who I really admire are gonna think ah, that's like for beginners, but everybody said, oh yeah, the morning pages and uh, everybody's been doing it. And yeah, I mean, I just, Jennifer Batten who played with Michael Jackson, she was like, yeah, artist's way. <laughs> it's like, I love that. Yeah. Now, how did you get into it? Cause you've also not only as releasing albums, doing songs, but you've been doing interviews with other musicians. You've been writing for guitar player. How did you get involved with that? Oh, wow. That was, um, it, it really is like starting with one thing and then it leads to another, yeah. another thing. I, you, I started, um, I did one story and I don't know, I lucked out pitching it and this magazine accepted it. It wasn't like a super prestige magazine, but, but it was like a, a cool story. And then uh, then I was able to tell another magazine that I wrote that and, oh, great. Well, then maybe you can, you know, work with us. And, and then eventually I came across a guy who, uh, this was in Sweden where I grew up. So there was a guy who ran a rock club and he did it pretty successfully. And um, he wanted to branch out. It's like expand the brand, so to speak. So he's like, I'm going to start a magazine. And um I noticed that the writing was like a little eh, quality could be better or something. So I don't know, I was cocky enough to approach him and say, I could write for you. And uh, through working with him, I like ended up doing a lot of interviews and like, you know, Kiss, Pearl Jam, Rob Zombie, Aerosmith, all kinds of people. And, and then eventually I became editor in chief. And uh, when he, health problems he, he had he stopped him from he just got too stressed out running a magazine and a club so that was a great experience it was then I had to you know be in contact with record labels and the printer of the magazine and sponsors for different events and assigning you know photo work uh, photo jobs and interviews to other writers and that was an amazing experience and it wasn't through attending journalism college like a lot of people do in Sweden. It was just, this was a self-made man who came up and created his own opportunities and he gave me a shot, <laughs> so. That is so cool because it's almost like when you started writing songs and got them, you know, the first production, I feel like you, again, were building up your, your, your kind of portfolio. It just seems like that's the advice to delve in, do it, and then just start knocking on doors and just like, you know, just being like, yeah. Yeah, you may not be able to like go for the New Yorker first thing you do or something like that, but you you just build and um, 
yeah, and then people see what you've done and they see that you have drive and an eagerness to learn. And I think it's the same with music. And uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure Doppo, it wasn't just money that made him like willing to do my demos. If I was a pain in the ass, it like, absolutely sucked. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah, he would have turned that down. <laughs> so, no, uh, that, that's so that that's just interesting. Me. Yeah. yeah, they see it's raw, but they see that there's something there. And uh, yeah, not everybody's gonna, you know, reach out that helping hand, but enough people will. And it's just such a path. You can't predict how it's gonna take you. It, it is like so, I mean, there's no way I could have foreseen anything that's happened. Yeah. It's constantly been surprises, but you kind of allow yourself to be open and uh, yeah, if you're new in town, maybe you can't just walk up and talk to like, you know, the best producers, but maybe if you take a class, you get in touch with these people and you have some kind of relationship with them. Your students, you're, you know, they see that you're serious instead of yeah. just coming from out of nowhere. Like, here's my card. No, that is, I think that's good advice for anyone that's kind of in those beginning stages. Cause sometimes it's, how do I get that first step? What do I do? How do I get going? And that to me is, is fantastic. Now the, the records that you released in kind of this period right now, how would you describe your, 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 your artistry right now? And kind of like your songwriting, you said, you kind of getting back into the artist way, especially yeah. now during COVID, how do you stay kind of in that, that space? Well, there definitely is the, I was so happy with what happened like since 2019, it's just been like really fruitful time in Los Angeles. I was connecting with a lot of friends and really good artists who I respect a lot and in, in the Americana community in Los Angeles, Americana being like this amalgamation of roots music, like country, uh, alt country, uh, blues rock, uh, soul, twangy stuff. And, uh, I don't want to lose touch with them. And uh, yeah, and I played a bunch of gigs with many of these artists and uh, got to play at Americana Fest. Uh, and uh, last year I was signed on to a, a small indie label that's a Blackbird record label that's uh, run by one of these artists. And uh, so, yeah, I don't want to break the momentum. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure how to answer your question, like how to stay in that space. Yeah, yeah. how do you, you know, even with everything going on, because I feel like you've you've built such a good career and networking and just kind of like making those connections. How do you keep that going in, in kind of a space like this? Because I feel sometimes people struggle with that as well, where they're just like, well, how can I keep this going? Everything yeah. closed. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I gotta say, I mean, if I was somebody who owned like made the bulk of my living as a performer, I feel really bad for them. I mean, it, they are struggling and I know several people in Nashville and LA that, you know, had that situation. I'm really glad that I have the ability to teach guitar and that that was an avenue that I could continue. And, um, luckily a lot of people have, taken up a new interest in the guitar and even they've been okay with like doing online lessons. So, so that's one thing working for guitar player. And again, that was a connection. There was a, a blues guitarist, Sue Foley, who I've known for several years. 
And I had, I guess, helped her get connected to a publishing company that released like one of these instruction videos for her. So that was like a cool thing. And, and then I wrote a book and then she like was interviewed in it along with a bunch of other top notch female players. And one day, and this is years later, Sue calls me and it's actually my, my husband and I were in Spain celebrating our 10th anniversary. And I get a phone call and it's, it's a Sue. And she's like, how, how would you like to take over my column at guitar player? Uh, Cause I, I, I want to move on to doing other things. I'm too busy. And, and then she connected me with the new editor in chief. And then, you know, he, he said, so what do you want to do? And I was, just thought I'm just going to shoot for like impossible things. I was like, well, there's 50th anniversary of Santana's Abraxas album. Okay. Well, would you like to interview Carlos? Like, would I? <laughs> uh, and, and then I suggested another story that I, 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 it's going to come out soon, but it's with uh, one of my like soul music heroes. So, um, so that's going to come out in the next month or two, but that's, I guess, how I've been keeping busy. And I have a lesson channel, a true fire uh, that's called Twang Soul and Rock and Roll. And I, during the pandemic, I filmed like a hundred lessons. And so it's like a subscription thing where people yeah. pay uh, seven bucks a month and uh, they can you know, have access to all these lessons. So I've been doing that and I've been practicing a lot of guitar because uh, yeah, if you're busy gigging and writing music and rehearsing, it's not, it, it can be hard to find time to further your skills. Yeah. So I've, I've been lucky that I've been able to do that to, yeah, teach lessons online, be here at home and, and practice a lot. So that's, that's what I've done. I, unfortunately, I don't have, I mean, we have kind of a home studio, but it's not really like something I would, like release records and I certainly don't know how to mix and anything like that. So that would probably be a good thing to, you know, if I could have learned logic or pro tools or or something and just to collaborate with people um, to collaborate on songs. And uh, so that might be something that I delve into. Yeah. (laughs) In the bud and, and get into and, but I like that, that you're setting like, you know, here are the things I'm working on, and then just even thinking about new goals, because then that encourages people. You can always add to the thing that you're doing. There's no point where it's like, well, I've, I've just topped everything that I've done, and that's all I can do. No, you can always add on a little bit more. There is more. I mean, yeah, I definitely, I actually felt like, well, geez, I, my dreams are fulfilled. I, like, <laughs> I got into like an album, it got really good reviews, which I was shocked <laughs> and uh but it was i mean very nice and uh yeah getting getting on a label being in this like you know roster with artists that, that i think is so cool and uh just love to be a part of this community and and then with guitar players like with santana well, who else do I, there's nobody else i want to interview they're they're dead <laughs> so many of them prince would have been nice but um yeah so then you have to think well what are some new dreams then well okay i'd like to be a better guitar player and yeah yeah maybe maybe a bit a little bit better improviser maybe i do want to like push myself a little bit 
I love that. That is fantastic. So if people want to find your music and find out more about you, where can they go? It's easy. It's like best to go to my website, which is NikkiO'Neill.com. When you go to the homepage, all the links to Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Bandcamp, you know, SoundCloud, Facebook, Instagram, it's all there. So, and yeah, it's N-I-K-K-I-O-N-E-I-L-L.com. I love that. Thank you so much. And Nikki, thanks for, for chatting about everything under the sun. This was wonderful. Oh, thank you. I mean, I loved your questions and, and your like enthusiastic vibe. <laughs> Let's be honest, sometimes songs just need better dynamics. The beauty is sometimes you don't even need a lot of chords or different strumming patterns to create variation. But if you had varied dynamics that create the separation between your songs, that's all you need. The trouble is a lot of songwriters don't do this. They kind of go on one level. It's almost like this loud talker is going on and on for three minutes. You don't want that, do you? Of course you don't. That's why you're listening to this. So just head on over to songrangforguitar.com, download my free audience engaging dynamics so that you can start throwing this into your songs, improving, because if you just tweak this one little thing, sometimes that's all you need. So again, just head on over to songrangforguitar.com and then jump into my audience engaging dynamics free mini course.